You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Got a great guest for you today. He was the number one overall pick in the NBA draft 16 years ago. We'll talk to him in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years, they've got a fix for you. For all of your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. They're available around the clock 24-7 to serve you. Again, for all of your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast played 14 years in the NBA back in 2005. He was the number one overall pick of the Milwaukee Bucks, the first Aussie to ever be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He won a championship with the Warriors in 2015. His contributions to basketball in Australia are absolutely amazing. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Andrew Bogut. Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. How are you, sir? Doing well, so? I'm doing great. You know, I was looking back at your career. You know, you go to Utah for two years, and I, I had many conversations about this with Vladi Divac, about paving the way for others. You weren't the first Aussie. You know, we think about Luke Longley in the late 90s and the run with the Bulls, but you may have been the guy that paved the way for more players from your country than anybody else. Did you realize that back when you were the first pick in 2005, how that may be, how you may pave the way for so many others from your country? Look, not not when you're in the moment. In, in the moment, you're kind of, um, you know, looking at the next thing and, and what the next step is um, in your career. I, I guess looking back now, for sure, I think, um, you know, Luke Longley is the pioneer. He, he's really the only Australian before myself that actually stuck in the NBA for, for a number of years and actually had an influential role for his team. Um, there were numerous pit stops for numerous Australians um, at different times, but they never really landed on a, on a roster for long, a long period. So to come in and, and have a 14-year NBA career, obviously being the number one pick, I mean, for, for you know Australian to even be in the conversation to go top three, it was kind of mind-boggling at that time. And, you know, since then, it's, it's opened the floodgates. So I'm very proud of, of being part of history and, and just showing kids in Australia that, you know, for a country of 25 million people that, we can we can get to the NBA and, and not only just get there but but play valuable roles, um, be starters, you know, potentially be all stars, 
and, and be the number one pick. When you left Australia to come to the United States and play college basketball for Utah, was that a difficult adjustment for you? Um, it was a little bit. Look, I had a really tough coach my freshman year. I played under, under Ricky Jarris, played Ricky Jarris, and it was a, a very, very um, old-school coach with the way he did things. I mean, I, I don't think he'd be able to coach today, that's for sure, but he was he was hard on me, very, very hard on me, and on top of that, it was it was moving to another country, being homesick, a different culture, so there was a lot of adjustments on the fly for, for an 18-, 19-year-old kid, but I believe that was a, a huge part of, of my journey to get to you know get to where I was and, and make me a better person and player to get to the NBA. Well, you were you were the player of the year, and then all of a sudden you're the number one pick in the 2005 draft to the Milwaukee Bucks. What do you remember the most about your first season in the NBA? Uh, I just remember knowing I, I wasn't really ready, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I had such a great sophomore year that it would be absolutely stupid to go back for my junior year, but you know, back in the 2000s or early 2000s, the 2000s, the NBA and big man were, were, were generally big, strong, athletic types. So I was only, you know, 235 pounds soaking wet coming into my rookie year. So I kind of had reservations about how I was going to wrestle with, you know, Shaq and Dwight and, and those kind of guys. Yeah, Ming was still playing very well at that time. So I don't think I was ready um, from a physical standpoint, but you know, I couldn't I couldn't go back to college and risk injury or, or risk not playing as well. So it all kind of happened so fast for me. And I just knew that I needed to spend a good off-season after that rookie year in, in the weight room and, and get my body, you know, to, to a level that can wrestle with those guys. You talk about wrestling with those guys. That was such a different era from where we're at now in the NBA with 2021. Do you miss the way the game was played back then? I mean, yeah, no, there's... There's pros and cons to both, right? But it's funny you say that because my, my body coming out of college was probably more suited to today's game than it was um, back then. So, <laughs> right. look, I think the game the game has changed. It is it is different. Um, I'm not sure I enjoy hoisting up as many threes as we can um, and, and just that, that side of basketball. But the numbers show that's, that's the best way to win. And until someone wins a championship doing something opposite in the NBA, um, everyone's going to continue to suit this way. So, you know, I hope, you know, uh, I joke with someone that, um, you know, if the Cleveland Cavaliers win the championship with three seven-footers in the starting lineup, maybe that'll that'll flip the league <laughs> back to, to how he's used to right. be. But it's, yep. Everyone follows whoever wins the championship, so that's how you got to always watch that space. I remember when you were traded to Golden State, their most popular player was in that trade, Monte Ellis. I'll never forget... The owner of the Warriors, Joe Lacob, getting booed off the court in the Chris Mullen halftime ceremony. But I've said this for many, many years. That trade paved the way for the Warriors to become the Golden State Warriors. You entered that franchise at an absolutely perfect time. What was that experience like going from Milwaukee to Golden State and then watching that team evolve and build into the championship team that you were part of in 2015? There's two stories to that. So then, you know, obviously getting traded from Milwaukee, I was, you know, for the good part of five, six years, the number one, if not number two option every night. Um, and to then go to the Warriors and you kind of, as a player, you're wrestling with like, oh, you know, I need my touches and all that kind of stuff. But I, I learned very quickly I'm playing with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who are elite offensive players and shooters. It'd be silly for me to go to coach and be like, I want the same touches I have. I had in Milwaukee, you know, I'm that guy, right? So I was happy to buy into a role on that team and, and I could kind of see what was being, 
you know, planned out what the future was for the, for the franchise. We then signed Andre Iguodala, and you just see the pieces of the puzzle starting to come together. Where you know, our goal for us was to be a playoff team. The Warriors not much playoff success before I got there. I think the We Believe year was the the biggest year they've, they'd had in, in the last ten fifteen years prior to, to, to me getting there. But I, you know, as hard as it was to adjust individually, it, it wasn't in a way because you started to see the wins on the board, and, and I knew for me. On that team, it was grab 10 rebounds, block two or three shots. If someone comes in the paint, you know, foul them hard every now and then, set good screens and, and be a passing facilitator. And, and look, I'll get I'll get three or four or five easy baskets off Steph and Clay at night. And I was happy to do that. I bought into that role. You know, Andre Guadala came off the bench. Um, he was a former All-Star, you know. So we had different guys at different phases of their career that understood, hey, I could be part of something great if I just kind of give up a bit of individual um, stardom and stats, and, and that's how that all came together. You know, it's always been said that to win championships, everybody needs to understand their roles and buy into their roles. Was that the key to the Warriors? Yes, you had very talented players, but not everyone could be the man every night. It just seemed everyone really bought into their role in terms of winning that championship. Is that accurate? Oh, there's no doubt, and that's 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 the biggest puzzle in the NBA, you know, and, and we were kind of lucky or the franchise was kind of lucky that they had guys like myself and Andre that were later on in their career or mid to late career that understood that, right? If we were all early 20s, first, second year in the league, then you've got a different story. Then you've got guys wrestling for the limelight. You've got, hey, I can do more. I can showcase more. I don't get that chance. And it's funny you bring up the Monte Ellis trade, you know, that Joe Lake got booed and, and a lot of fans in the Bay Area weren't happy with that. What people don't realize is losing, you know, Monte Ellis, uh, and his skill set and scoring and flashiness was one thing, but what that did was it opened up Seth Curry's game. So now you've lost Monte Ellis, who was a primary ball handler, a guy that took the majority of their shots, and Steph was kind of second option for the most part with Monte there. You take that away, now you've given the ball to Steph for 90% of the game, and you've seen Steph's trajectory since then. So it was a blessing in disguise for the franchise as far as that goes, not so much in, in, in losing the talent of Monte, but freeing up. Um, Steph Curry to do what he does now. A couple of months ago, I had Spud Webb on my podcast, and he was a teammate of Dominique Wilkins for many years. And I asked him what it was like playing with Neek, and he said, you know, there were times when Neek did things on the court and he had to stop because he could not believe what he just witnessed. What was it like watching Steph Curry? I mean, there had to be moments, Andrew, where you would watch him, whether it was live or maybe in a film session the next day, and you're like, I can't believe what the hell I just saw. I mean, that had to be unbelievable. Oh, it's every other day with Steph. I mean, people think, you know, you're, you're talking smack when you're saying that, but he's just such a talented individual, not only basketball-wise, he's one of those guys that can, you know, he can pick up a dart and throw it at a dartboard for the first time in his life. He'll miss the first few, and then within five shots, he's hit the bullseye. He's that kind of guy, right? He's just got he's just got it, as you'd call it. And, and don't get it confused. He wasn't born with that. A lot of people think, oh, you're born with it. You're not. He puts in a lot of time um, to hone his craft, but... Yeah, I mean, training sessions, even during warm-ups when we do warm-ups at practice, like he's swinging balls from half-court and they're going in more often than not. You know, like he's just, he's the, he's the best shooter um, the game's ever seen. And and not only a shooter, the, the degree of difficulty of his shots is, is what also needs to be discussed. Off the dribble, step-backs, sidesteps, contested, getting fouled a lot. And, and his rate of making three-pointers um, whilst getting fouled is probably up there all time in NBA history. So when you factor all that in together as far as a shooter, you know, I think he's one of the best to ever play the game. I don't think you can compare him to like a, you know, uh, let's say a Reggie or a Steve Kerr because because those guys were more feet set or coming off screens, whereas Steph's 
skill set is he can he can just pull up on the dime just over half court off three crossovers between the legs and just get it up quickly and it's just amazing to watch on a nightly basis it was amazing to watch you know I did the NBA for 32 years and I think you weren't on the team but I did the game one night uh, in Oakland when Clay Thompson scored 37 points in the third quarter think about that oh, he, I was there. oh you were now okay I was there. okay so yeah, I I, all right and again, I've done, you know, listen, I I was I came into the league in Magic Johnson, Kareem, Worthy. I did the games at Chicago Stadium with Michael Jordan. So, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. But, but in my 32 years of announcing the NBA, Andrew, that to me will always stick out as the greatest thing that I've ever seen. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was crazy. You know, like if you... If you go back and watch the tape, I'm, I'm actually on the floor um, early on in his barrage. I think, I think after he had 15 or so, and, you know, I had a post up and a little on me in the post, and um, I'm, I'm posting up and Clay's got it on the wing, and I was, he shot it, and, and you can see I'm kind of pissed, like, hey, man, like, why didn't you throw it in the post? And <laughs> it goes in nothing but net. But Clay's another one. Like, he, I mean, he has no conscience. He can, go, he can be zero for 10, and that 11th shot, you, you cannot tell that he was zero for 10, and that's the mark of great shooters and scorers. And Clay, you know, the beauty of him is he's six seven six eight, um, and you know even if you close him out and get a good contest up, he's still he's still able to get his shot off. And um, yeah, those two just playing with those two guys on a nightly basis, the amount of space they create um, for guys like myself and Damon Green and Andre Iguodala and David Lee, you know, you end up just getting so many easy dunks and lobs and passes because everyone's just so scared of of letting them get a get a three up. When you look back at your career, 14 years in the NBA, a championship, are you more proud of what you accomplished in the NBA or what you accomplished for Australia, three Olympic Games, and the impact that you had on the sport of basketball in your homeland? I mean, it's a mix. Look, uh, what I'm really proud of is um, I came in as a number one pick, um, had really good individual years in Milwaukee for a number of years, but then um, I think the injuries for me kind of changed the trajectory of my career at numerous times. I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm actually using it as a positive. Um, told twice um, with two different injuries that, you know, you, you know, we don't know if you're going to play again. And if you do, we don't know, you know, if you're going to be able to move or run or, you know, flex your elbow out to shoot a basketball and, and bounce back from both of those and, and got a 14-year career out. So I'm most proud of that. But I think just the whole journey, there's, you know, there's positives and negatives to every athlete, for every coach, every broadcaster like yourself. You know, you take the good with the bad and you learn from both of them. And I'm just proud that I, I was able to, you know, get to the NBA, play double-digit years um, and and really show, like I said, Australians and Australian kids that you can you can get to that stage um, with enough hard work and dedication to, to the sport. So the national team's always been fun. I mean, this point thing for me was, not being able to ever medal, um, and then obviously the the, the boomers meddling um, in what I'll you know a tournament that I was supposed to play in, but ended up retiring a year before um, because the Olympics got delayed. So a little bit bittersweet with that, seeing those guys um, finally get the bronze medal or get a medal, first mm-hmm. one in Australian boomers history. But at the same time, a very proud moment. What is the future of basketball in Australia? You talked about not meddling, but when you look at the the, the players coming up, where where do you see? Could you could you could you see this team, you know, maybe not winning a gold in future Olympics? Could you see them meddling? Do they have that type of talent coming up through the pipeline? Oh, definitely. Like I said, the last Olympics getting the bronze was, was a huge step in setting the, the bare, that's the bare minimum now for our program. We feel like, hey, we've got bronze now. Um, the next goal is silver or gold. And, and look, we had, we, had, we had an opportunity to arguably, you know, win that game against the U.S. in, in, the, in the semifinals. Um, and you give credit to the U.S., you know, we had them on the ropes for, 
you know, I'll probably say 15 to 17 minutes of that first half. I think we had a double-digit lead. It felt like we were flowing well. And then a few a few tough shots made by the U.S. late in that half closed the gap to, I think, seven, I think, or eight, when it should have been 15 or 16. And then the start of the third, they just blew us out of the water. We went on a crazy run to start that third quarter. So we've competed in, in patches against the U.S., and they're usually the one you need to compete for to, to win a gold medal. So I think the day will come where we'll, we'll have a chance to to win a gold medal and we have a lot of young guys coming through still um, so Josh Giddy's obviously had a, had a really good rookie year so far in OKC um, Paddy Mills has had a fantastic year he'll probably get another Olympics in um, Joe Ingles getting a bit older but he's still floating around and then we have a lot of young kids coming up through through high school and college so look for a country of 25 million people um, it's, it's you know for us to have five, six, seven, eight. at one point I think we had 13 NBA players on a roster is um, fantastic. You and I have never met, but I have a hell of a lot of respect for you. I follow you on social media, and for those listening, I encourage you to follow uh, Andrew uh, on Twitter, at Andrew Bogut, because you're not afraid to speak up for what you believe in. And I think in our world today, there are too many people, especially in the United States, that are afraid to speak up for what they believe in. They turn their head the other way, and I, and I hate that. It really bothers me. You're not like that. Before we talk about what life is like in Australia during the pandemic, what advice would you give Ben Simmons if he was with you right now? Oh man, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I've had an arm's length dealing with with Ben and his kind of group of his agent and his, his group of people. And I mean, he's in a tough spot. Um, I think the people around him um, need to be held to account. I think they're, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to your career. So Ben does need to put his big boy pants on eventually and make his own decisions. But from what I've what I've seen in the last three or four years, you know, we had similar occurrences with the national team of him doing similar stuff to what he's doing with Philly now. I think um, his agent. His group of advisors, whether it's his family, friends, whoever it is, they they all need to be held to account for this because he, he needs to get back out of the court. Um, and it's just not a good situation for Philly. It's not a good situation for Ben. I mean, sitting a year out, you know, it's not going to be good for his career either long term. So it's going to be interesting, Grant. I'm, I'm really interested. There was a report a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if you saw it. Ethan Sherwood Strauss, a pretty good friend of mine, he, he did some digging and, and from what he ascertained that, um, Philadelphia have the full support of the NBA and the NBA is silently urging Philadelphia not to trade him and to just let him sit on the, let him sit on the sidelines and rot. Wow. Um, now that, that was pretty, that was pretty interesting, that, that report because the, the, the NBA's mindset is it's one thing to demand a trade towards India contract, towards the India Max deal, but the fact that Philly is paying, you know, his rookie Max, which he obviously gets a bonus for signing with his, with his own team. Um, and then opting out a year into that <clears throat> is a pretty bad precedent for, for, you know, contractual agreements in the NBA. You know, what's to stop now Zion doing that and numerous other players? So it's, it's a pretty much, I, I watch this space and I'm very interested to see how it all goes. As I said, you're not afraid to speak up for what you see and what you believe in. How difficult, well, let me ask you this. What's life been like living in Australia during the pandemic? Well, it's, it's hard. I mean, every, every state, I'm not familiar with seven states and territories here in Australia. Um, every state has different rules and laws, so much so that some states are locked out from other states. So, for instance, if five cases pop up in the state of New South Wales, where Sydney is, surrounding states will shut their borders, you know, and, and that's what we've been doing the last, you know, almost two years now. So, it's, you know, businesses are severely impacted. My hometown of Melbourne, Australia, um, they've had the, the most days in lockdown in the world. Um, and it's the on-again, off-again that's really mentally hurting people. Um, 
you open your business for a week, you close for two weeks, and that's been going on and off and on and off for the best part of two years. And um, all we talk about over here is case numbers, case numbers, case numbers, but no one's talking about you know the other detrimental effects it has, where mental health, um, kids' schooling, you know, domestic violence has gone up, um, sexual abuse, child abuse, you know, the list goes on and on. All elderly people are now missing their, their yearly screenings because they don't want to go to a hospital and check in and wear a mask and do all that stuff. So there's a laundry list of things I can go through, um, which will take, you know, <laughs> hours. But <laughs> it's just frustrating that we're, we're so gung-ho on just case numbers, case numbers, case numbers, but not seeing everything else going on. And it's just, you know, we're, I mean, right now, you need a permit just to leave the country um, as an Australian citizen. You need to ask your government if you're allowed to leave, and they can say yes or no. So it's pretty pretty insane what's going on here, and, and we just don't see an end to it. Um, and people, you know, whether you agree with it or not, uh, the problem is a lot of people are just are just nodding their heads and saying, yep, um, the government's always right, let's just continue on, no matter how hypocritical their messaging is. You are one of the most well-known figures in all of Australia. I would imagine you have a lot of support, but are you also met with a lot of critics? Do you deal with a lot of criticism for your viewpoints on social media as it relates to the pandemic? Oh, without a doubt. Look, most, most of the support, I get more support than, than not, um, but there is you know a small minority on, on social media, especially. It's usually the anonymous accounts, funnily sure. enough. Um, when I'm out in the community walking around um, the shopping center or whatever, the amount of people I come, I have come up to me and just say thank you for, for using my voice to actually speak up for the working class and the people that don't have a voice is, is a huge number compared to what's on social media. But as soon as you sway away from the government narrative or, you know, whether you're, you, go, you even ask questions, you straight away get labeled as, you know, a COVID denier or a conspiracy theorist. And it's like, well, I don't know where we've gone as a society to have, I might not be right with my views, but let's discuss them. Let's ask questions. Let's go. Let's get someone who's pro-lockdown and anti-lockdown and someone in the middle. Let's have these open discussions. We haven't seen that in the world, really. It's just all doom and gloom. And, I mean, I ask questions and that, that, that in today's day and age, you shouldn't ask questions. You should just, you know, bow down on your knees and thank your, your local governor or prime minister or president for, for letting you breathe air. And I think that's wrong. I think that's a flaw in society. I think the day we start, um, the day we stop, sorry, asking questions um, at least having that open debate is not a good not a good time in society. I'm so happy that you said that because I have stressed that over and over and over on my podcast. I, it is beyond me why people with different opinions can't have dialogue, can't have an open conversation, and then when they're done with the conversation, they don't hate each other. There's so much hate in the world today, and in the United States, there's so much venom. Uh, there's so much hatred. I mean, the, the recent election, family members disowning brothers and sisters because they had a different political opinion, you know, COVID dividing people. I, I don't get that. I just don't understand why we can't have a difference of opinion, have a conversation, and at the end of the conversation say, hey, man, I appreciate that. I don't agree with what you said but i respect at least your opinion we have really gotten away from that in the world haven't we yeah well granted it's called being an adult you know um children do what you just mentioned and i mean i've, I've had those conversations like harrison barnes a real good friend of mine yep. um and we've had we've had some debates about different things politically and social justice things and um i've come into conversations with him heavily disagreeing on something and then once i heard his point of view i was like shit he's got a valid point there i i, I now I can understand where, where, where he's coming from on a certain issue. And, and, and him the same. We've had debates where he's actually said to me, shit, like I didn't, I didn't see it that way. And that's, that's what you have to do. Like mm-hmm. you want to, you might not always be right or wrong, but you can't stymie discussion. And, and that's where we're at. And, and, you know, to your point about 
the division and all that. We see that here in Australia now. It's, it's becoming, you know, pro-lockdown is versus anti, pro-vaxxers versus anti, and it's straight away with whether you have an opinion on something, people want to label you with a, with a stigma or a label or you're this or you're that, where it's like, no, I'm just asking questions. I want to have a debate or discussion about it. And unfortunately, most people don't want to do that. They, they, they take everything that's spewed out on social, on, on, on mainstream media and social media as gospel and, and then you get what you get. But the fact that you can't have a, a debate and like if you and I disagree on something, I can still have a drink or a coffee with you or a beer with you. It's, it's not the end of the world. But for most people, it's like, oh, no, I'm deleting you from my life <laughs> because your views don't align with mine. It's like, that's absolutely, it's just, it's just, it's childlike. It's, I could, I could explain to my three and five year old that that's not right and they'd half understand it, you know? I'll tell you, I'm glad you mentioned Harrison Barnes because in all the years of being in the NBA, he is truly one of the top professionals I've ever seen go about his job. And I'll tell you what else, he is one of the smartest human beings I've ever been around. So you pick good friends because he's top shelf, isn't he? Harrison's great. I mean, he was my my rookie coming into the league. I was a veteran there and and we just struck it up instantly. You know, he's got a dry, sarcastic sense of humor like myself. So we instantly gravitated towards each other. But he's he's very well he reads about different things around the world. So we would usually sit on a bus together and shit about random things going on in the world or America and had some really good conversations and at times debate and at times disagreed on things, but we're still good friends. And I love Harrison. He's, he's yeah, he's one of the, the biggest professionals as far as um, treating his career the right way, you know, doing all the stuff off the court. He's always on time. Um, just a great, a great uh, presence to have. The locker room in Sacramento is really good. Really lucky to have him in that room to, to show those young guys you know what it takes to be a professional before i let you go tell me about your podcast yeah podcast road bows um started about a ago we do numerous different things much like yourself we don't just do basketball um a bunch of different shows um there's a basketball series which i do with my who's based over there in the u.s he's been in the nba for many years was worked with kobe for a number of years so that's a fun one um and then i do a my journey which is similar to a, what an autobiography in a book would be um, as, as I get older, it's a different episode number, if that makes sense. Sure. And then I do a, a bunch of different stuff. I have guests, guests on like, like you do. I do a car chat with a friend of mine. Um, I'm passionate about muscle cars, so I do a car chat as well. And then I've just started, um, a common sense series, which is kind of discussing what we were just discussing before, just, just about the world being on fire and, and common sense issues, you know, politically and socially. So it's been good fun. You know, numbers are pretty good, but I'm going to wrap it up next year and, and introduce videos so everyone can see my beautiful face while I'm talking. <laughs> I love it. Before, uh, you know, we, we conclude, I do want to ask you, you know, you're still very young. You still have a, a lot of life ahead of you. You know, if you had a crystal ball in front of you five, ten years from now, what could you see yourself doing? Is there something that is a burning inside you that you absolutely have to do and want to do? There isn't anything burning. I mean, I'd love to coach one day, but I'm not, I'm not going to go through that with what's going on in the world right now. Um, I just, I'm trying to navigate where we end up here. You know, it just seems like there's no light in the, the tunnel um, here in Australia, especially. So I'm navigating that, but I've got two kids at three and five. I, I purposely have them later on in my career and one starts school next year. So I've got the luxury of, of trying to be around them as much as possible. That, that's the main uh, motivation right now. The podcast will, will, will take off a bit more next year. But I'd like to get involved in coaching one day, um, whether it's it's junior development or something something here in Australia. But I won't I won't do that until this is all over, just because you know this this whole this whole debacle about getting tested every day and making healthy people feel like they're crazy every day. I, I'm just not into it. So right now, it's home life and just just doing things at home with the family, and and then we'll navigate in the future. But 
Um, probably the other thing would be just just firing up my my, my semi pro poker career. So I enjoy playing poker a lot and um, haven't been able to really play live in person for the best part of two years with with casinos and tournaments being closed because of coronavirus. So I'll definitely like to to jump back into that into that hoop one once things open up again. Hopefully, it's open up. Boy, let's hope so. I really appreciate you making the time. I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time and really admire, you know, how you go about uh, bringing up really important points on social media. I, I think you are a real difference maker, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on my podcast. So thanks very much for making the time, and have yourself a great holiday. Now, Grant, I just want to finish off real quick. So yep. I was a, a big Sacramento Kings fan in the late 90s, early 2000s, so I know your voice very well from <laughs> when I was you know, 15, 16 years old, I was, I joined the, I joined the bandwagon when White Chocolate, Jason Williams was there, <laughs> was a huge fan of his and just the way he playmate. And then obviously Vladi and C-Web and, and Bibby and I was just a huge fan of the King. So I know your voice very well. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, remember this. If you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball, right? There you go. That's exactly right. I love it. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It is now time for our Crowd Ultra questions. Go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Let's start with Will. How do you expect the MLB lockout to exactly go? Great question. I don't think a lot of people care right now because it's early December. At some point, they will figure out a way to reach an accord and they'll get back on the field. But right now, Will, I don't think many people give a damn. Luke asked, which NFL division has interested you the most this season? I think the AFC West. I mean, Kansas City looked like they were done. They've gotten up off the mat. They're now up top. But I'm looking at the other three teams with the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders all relevant. And this thing could go down to the wire, of course, this weekend. Uh, on Sunday Night Football, you got Denver and Kansas City. Uh, the Raiders are at home, and they should be able to beat Washington. You got the Chargers at Cincinnati. I would say the AFC West, Luke, that's the division that really, to me, uh, is so well balanced. Jay asked, do you think the NBA Western Conference standings will largely remain the same? Well, I don't know about the actual seeding, but I think the top 10 teams right now will remain the same. The one team that worry, two teams worry me a little bit. The Clippers, I don't think they're that good. And then the Blazers, they're going to lose Lillard for a while, but I think the teams that are 1 through 10 right now will all get in. Of course, the play-in tournament, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Ryan asked, do you agree with Troy Aikman saying super teams don't work in the NFL? I think it makes a great point. Yes, I do. Colin asked, do you think the Bulls and Heat should have lost their second-round draft picks? I think they should lose more than their second-round picks, to be honest with you. Uh, listen, you cheat the system, you lose a second-round pick. That's not losing that much. So I think it should be more than that. I think it should be more severe. Rob says, what's your take on the MLB secretly using two different types of balls last season? Well, Rob, my question is, if it was such a big difference, how come we didn't know about it? How come any pitcher or hitter, how come we're just finding out about it well after the season was over? Which tells me it's not really that big of a deal. Now, with that said, I don't think it's a smart move by MLB to keep that a secret, but didn't seem like the players knew that there were two different balls that were being used, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. David asks, how do you think Brian Kelly will do at LSU in the SEC? I'm not a big Brian Kelly fan. I'm really not. I'll tell you this. He better do <laughs> he better do better in big games in uh, LSU than he did at Cincinnati and Notre Dame. That is for darn sure. So to answer your question, I don't think it's going to work. Jacob says, do you believe Arizona Coyotes ownership saying the rumors the team is for sale aren't true? I- I've been hearing about the Arizona Coyotes being for sale for a long time. 
and they're still there. So I don't know what to believe. Ian asked, could Christian McCaffrey end up being a bust? No. No, he's not a bust. I think when healthy, he's probably as good as any running back in the National Football League. Of course, when he's hurt, like other players, you can't be effective. But no, I don't think he's a bust at all. Tim asked, does Baker Mayfield deserve a big money contract? Not yet, Tim. Not yet. That's a great question. Rich asked, will John Wall be traded by the deadline? I don't see how he's going to be traded by the deadline with $91 million in his option on the last year of his deal. I I just, I don't see it. Phil asked, will Trevor Bauer return after the lockout? Yes, I think he will. How can you keep him off the field? Unless he's criminally charged, right? I mean, and found guilty, I believe he'll still play. Absolutely. Corey asked, is Joe Mixon a big money running back to you? He's having a hell of a year. What is he, third in rushing? touchdowns he's like second or third in the league yeah I think he is a big money running back I've been really impressed with him absolutely Neil asked have you seen top NFL coach salaries are reaching around 25 million a year Neil I don't know where you're getting your information but that's not even close the top salary for a head coach in the National Football League is Bill Belichick it's just over 12 million a year so I don't know where you're finding out these numbers but it's nowhere close to 25 million a year Kevin wants to know, what are the odds the Lakers don't make the playoffs this season? They're going to make the playoffs, Kevin. They're going to make the playoffs, unless everyone gets hurt. I know that they're struggling. I get all of that. They've got too much talent. Peter says, will we ever see Tiger win another PGA Tour event? No, but I said that before he won another PGA event the last time around, so I would never count him out. But based on what I'm reading and hearing, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Brendan asked, would you say Big Ben should retire after this season? 100% absolutely positively he should retire after this season. It's time for And today's rant is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Just go to roysumbrella.com. Hey, Roy is now out of retirement. He will help you. He sees big changes on the horizon as it relates to the housing market. And if you own a home and are looking to buy a new home, Roy right now is offering a one-hour free consultation. So take Roy and his staff up on this. It's a great opportunity for you. All you need to do is go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. How about freaking Antonio Brown of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Suspended for three games because he violated the NFL's COVID protocol. What did he do? He cheated. He lied. He had a fake vaccination card. He never got vaccinated. He got caught by the NFL along with two other players on the Bucks, a backup safety and a guy that's no longer on the team. But Antonio Brown, I mean, so what's new? He's in trouble again? I mean, how is it that teams want Antonio Brown on their roster after what he did in Pittsburgh, after what he did in Oakland, New England? I mean, I can go on and on. Antonio Brown, what a disgrace. Seriously, what a freaking disgrace. And now he's suspended without pay for three games, which is going to cost him over $500,000. I don't understand how this guy still has a job in the National Football League. The guy is an embarrassment. Plain and simple, he is an embarrassment and a disgrace. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Hey, my thanks to Andrew Bogut. Really enjoyed my conversation with him. Have yourself a great weekend. And thank you for listening to you don't like that with Grant Napier.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.